0: Good evening ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another exciting episode of the Anthology of Horror. I am your host, spring Heel Jack, and tonight I'll be bringing you a story from my home state. Um, not necessarily where I'm from, this is from Northern California, I'm from the South. And as the joke goes, everybody in Northern California loves talking about how much better they are than Southern California, and nobody in Southern California gives a shit. So, that being said... I'm very happy that this happened in Northern California. Although I'm not happy it happened at all. I had to pick. This is a spooky one to fucking live next door to. Anyway, to all consistent listeners, thank you very much for tuning back in. I genuinely appreciate your patronage. I genuinely appreciate you guys being consistent and spreading the word. Uh, at the end of this episode, I will let you know who the winning state is for uh, most influential person. If I call out your city and you were the most influential person... Thank you very much. I believe last week it was uh I don't remember what city it was exactly last week, but I think it was Ohio. Thank you very much to Ohio and Texas. You guys are killing it, but yeah, and when I say killing it, I mean you guys are doing a great job spreading the word and letting people know because you're very influential and they listen to you, and I can see it on the map so I have paperwork that proves it and to all new listeners, thank you very much for tuning back or for tuning in for the first time hopefully uh you stick around. Without any further ado, today I bring you The Bloody Case of the Vampire of Sacramento. Uh, I am mainly quoting an article by Brent Swanser, written in October of 2018. And I have some other sources too, and I will cite them as I go. The world of the paranormal, and also that of fiction, is populated by all manner of fantastical specters, demons, beasts, and monsters. This is a dark, only faintly lit world of things that shift, scamper, and prowl about the murk, shadowy abominations that defy all attempts to understand them. But scattered amongst tales of ghouls, ghosts, and vampires, there are those cases that are remarkable in their origins in real life. And they sometimes prove that human monsters are just as frightening and probably more repulsive than anything from the depths of the supernatural or the mythical world. One such case comes to us from the shithole city of Sacramento, California, and it is a morbid and mysterious account of a serial killer, strange and haunting, and a journey into the very darkest depths of an abyss of human depravity. Richard Trenton Chase was born on May 23, 1950. He was an American serial killer who had killed six people in the span of one month in California. He earned the nickname the Vampire of Sacktown, aka Sacramento. He drank the blood of his victims, and he ate their internal organs. He did this as part of a delusion that he needed it to prevent Nazis from turning his blood into powder via poison they planted beneath his soap dish. You heard that right. Born in 1950, he was raised in a strict household and was often beaten by his father for the fuck of it. In his teens, he became an alcoholic and also developed a penchant for killing and mutilating animals and fire-starting, which are all common traits of serial killers when they're aspiring to be such. In high school, Chase had a handful of girlfriends, none of which he was able to get or maintain a steady relationship with, uh, or an erection, coincidentally. Partly, the turnover in his relationships was his inability to achieve or maintain an erection, and because of an inability to become aroused in the presence of females, unless, uh... Certain variables were present. Upon consulting a psychiatrist, Chase was told that the root of his problems was either repressed, rage, or mental illness. After that, he did not seek any further treatment after this diagnosis. It would later be determined that Chase had an aversion to conventional sex and he could only achieve arousal and orgasm through violent or heinous actions such as killing animals and fucking a dead person, cracking open a cold one, or necrophilia. That's in poor taste, sorry. As an adult, Chase lived with his mother, where he began to accuse her of attempting to murder him via poison. Chase's father purchased an apartment for him and forced him to move out of the house. Alone in his new apartment, after he chased away all of his roommates, uh, because he refused to stop drinking or put on pants, he began to capture, kill, and disembowel various animals, which he would then devour raw. Like some squirrel sushi, man. There's nothing like that in the morning. Fucking, that'll put hair on your chest. Take it off. He then began to put the entrails of the animals he had killed into a blender in order to make smoothies. (laughs) Chase reasoned that by drinking these smoothies, he was preventing his heart from shrinking like the Grinch. He feared that if it shrank too much, he would not be elected the mayor of Whoville that year. And it would disappear, and then he would die. 1975, Chase was involuntarily committed to a mental hospital after being taken to the hospital for blood poisoning, which he contracted after injecting rabbit's blood. Rabbit. The animal rabbit. He killed one, loaded a syringe with its blood, and shot it into his veins. You fucking moron. There comes a point you should just let Darwinism sort him out, man. Fucking social Darwinism might not be the worst thing in certain cases. Like this guy. Chase escaped from the hospital and went home to his mama. He was apprehended and sent to an institution for the criminally insane almost immediately, where he often shared with the staff fantasies about killing rabbits, longingly. He was once found with blood smeared around his mouth, and the hospital staff discovered that he was able to capture two birds through the bars on his bedroom windows, snapped their necks, and sucked the blood out. Among themselves, the staff began referring to him, terrified, as Dracula. After undergoing a battery of treatments involving psychotropic drugs, which usually make every problem worse, Chase was deemed no longer a danger to society. And in 1976, he was released into recordance of his parents uh, and his mother, deciding that her son did not need the anti-schizophrenic medication that he had been prescribed, took it upon herself to wean him off of it. Bitch. His parents put him up in an apartment again, where he began to torture and capture and then drink the blood of rabbits, dogs, and cats. On occasion, he killed and ate neighbor's pets and at least once contacted the neighbor by telephone to explain that he had killed and eaten his pet. At the same time, he developed a fascination for firearms and purchased several handguns (laughs) incident-free. Oh, my God. I suppose it was still the 70s, so there was not much of a vetting process for buying handguns, but still. This is, uh, my God, who's, whoever sold this guy a gun should be fucking executed. Like, clearly he wasn't well. been coming in fucking slapping himself with blood around and hadn't showered in a year and you're going to sell him a handgun. I don't believe that guns commit violent crimes, but I think that dumb fucking gun shop owners that sell to people that are clearly touched kill people. He became fascinated by the crimes of the Hillside Strangler. He believed the Strangler was also the victim of Nazi UFO conspiracies that he believed he was the victim of. Chase also began to lose interest in caring for himself almost entirely. He neglected his personal hygiene such as bathing, grooming, brushing his tooth. He stopped eating and dropped to the weight of 145 pounds. Normally you have to use hard drugs to get down to as a grown adult male if you are over 5 foot something. Uh, One day in 1977, Chase rang his mother's doorbell and greeted her by shoving a dead cat in her face. He then threw the cat to the ground, knelt down, ripped the stomach open with his bare hands, and stuck his hand into the cat, smearing its blood all over his face while screaming. His mother calmly returned inside the house and did not report the incident to anybody. Mom is no snitch. On August 3, 1977, Nevada State Police discovered Chase's Ford Ranchero lodged in a sand drift near Pyramid Lake. Ever done that? That is no fun. But inside were two rifles, a pile of clothing, a bucket full of blood, and a cow's liver. The officers tracked down Chase, who was ass naked and screaming in the sand, soaked from head to toe in blood. When questioned, he claimed that the blood was his own and that it had leaked out of him through his flesh. On December 27, 1977, Chase, for the fuck of it, fired a 22 handgun into the home of a Sacramento woman. A police search of the woman's home found the slug in her kitchen, but thank God nobody was hurt. His first murder happened on December 29, 1977. Killed his first victim in a drive-by shooting in an apparent warm-up for the crimes he planned on committing. The victim's name was Ambrose Griffin. He was a 51-year-old engineer and a father of two who was helping his wife bring groceries into their home. One of Griffin's sons reported seeing a neighbor walking around their eastern Sacramento neighborhood with a 22 rifle earlier that week. The neighbor's rifle was seized, but ballistic tests determined that it was not the murder weapon. However, it was determined that the twenty-two used to kill Ambrose Griffin was the same one used to fire bullets into the kitchen of the Sacramento woman two days before. On January 11, 1978, Chase asked his neighbor for a cigarette and then forcibly restrained her until she gave him an entire pack. Everyone knows that guy. Two weeks later, he attempted to enter the home of another woman, but finding that the doors were locked, went into her backyard and fucked off. Chase later told detectives that he took locked doors as a sign that he was not welcome, but unlocked doors were an invitation to come inside. What an idiot. While wandering around, he encountered a girl named Nancy Holden, with whom he attended high school. He attempted to get a ride from her, but frightened her by his appearance, so she refused, at a girl Nancy. He went down the street where he broke into the home of a young married couple, stole some of their valuables, pissed on the drawer of their infant's clothing, and defecated on their son's bed. And the couple came home while Chase was still in the house, so the husband attacked him, but Chase escaped. He continued to attempt to enter homes until he came across the home of David and Teresa Wallen. David was at work, Teresa, who was three months pregnant, was in the middle of taking out the garbage, and while she did that, had left the front door unlocked. Chase surprised her in her home and shot her three times, once in the hand, which was her putting her hand out like, no, please don't shoot me, twice in the head, which finally killed her, and it was the same gun used to kill Ambrose Griffin and to shoot through the window of the woman in Sacramento. After he shot her, Chase then dragged her body to the bedroom and raped it post-mortem while repeatedly stabbing it with a butcher knife. When he finished, he carved the corpse open, removed several of her internal organs, used a bucket to collect the blood, and then taking it to the bathroom to bathe in it. Jesus Christ. He then took one of her nipples as a souvenir and drank her blood, using an empty yogurt container as a drinking glass. Before leaving, he went into the yard, found a pile of dog shit, and returned to stuff it in the corpse's mouth. For what reason, I don't know. On January 23rd, 1978, two days after killing Teresa Wallen, Chase purchased two puppies from a neighbor, which he then killed and drank the blood of, leaving the body on the neighbor's front lawn. This is why you ask for an adoption fee when you're adopting animals, especially on Craigslist. But in general, this is why adoption fees exist. On January 27th, Chase committed his final murder. Actually, I said he purchased two puppies, so there was an adoption fee. That's why you make it more than what he was making. (laughs) Use your best judgment, same with selling a gun, for fuck's sake. On January 27th, Chase committed his final murder, which also qualifies as a mass murder. He entered the home of 38-year-old Evelyn Maroth, who was babysitting her 22-month-old nephew, David. David, also present in their home, was Evelyn's six-year-old son, Jason, and Dan Meredith, a neighbor who had come over to check in on Evelyn. Evelyn was bathing while Dan watched the children. That's weird to me. He went, if I if I had some, if I had my niece watching my children and the neighbor was in my house when I got home, I'd go fucking ballistic. Uh, anyway, he went into the front hallway when Chase entered the home and he was promptly shot in the head at point-blank range with Chase's twenty two handgun, killing him. Again, this was the same gun used. Kill the pregnant lady, kill the griffin guy, shoot through the window. Chase then turned the corpse over and stole his wallet and car keys. Jason ran to his mother's bedroom where Chase fatally shot him twice in the head at point-blank range. On the way to killing Jason, Chase also shot David in the head. Jesus Christ, killed a bunch of kids. Chase then entered the bathroom and fatally shot Evelyn once in the head, dragged the corpse onto the bed where he simultaneously sodomized it and drank its blood from a series of sliced wounds to the back of the neck. Medical examiners reported an inordinate... Huh. Unusual amounts of semen in the corpse's rectum indicating an unusual amount of ejaculations. Gross. When Chase had finished, he stabbed her at least half a dozen times in the anus, the knife penetrating her uterus. He stabbed her in a series of vital points on the body, which caused blood from the internal organs to pool into her abdomen, abdomen, which he then sliced open and drained into a bucket, then consumed all the blood. Chase then went on to retrieve young David's corpse. He took it to the bathroom, split its skull open in the bathtub, and consumed the brain. This guy's fucking foul, man. Outside, a six-year-old girl with whom Jason Maroth had a playdate knocked on the door. Oh, man, startling, Chase. So he fled, the residence, stealing Dan Meredith's car. And the little girl alerted a neighbor. The neighbor broke into the Maroth home, where he discovered the bodies and contacted the authorities and tried to explain to them that he was only breaking in because nobody answered the door when he knocked. Oh my god, that poor bastard. Imagine breaking into that house just to see if everyone's okay? That sucks. Upon entering the home, the police discovered the plethora of ballistic evidence that Chase had left, including, but not limited to, perfect handprints, perfect fingerprints, perfect imprints of the soles of his shoes. Chase, meanwhile, took David's corpse home with him, where he chopped off his penis and used it as a straw. Really? That's fucking... I didn't know you could do that, but that's fucking gross. Through which he sucked the blood out of the body. Wow. He then sliced the corpse open and consumed several internal organs and made smoothies out of the others. Finally, disposing of the corpse at a nearby church. What a fucking asshole. After the Wallen murder, FBI agents Russ Vorpagel and Robert Ressler were called in to investigate. They compiled a profile of the killer and determined that the killer would be tall, malnourished, a loner, physically unclean, and more importantly, he would continue to kill until he was killed or arrested. Five days after the mass murder, and after hearing the profile, Nancy Holden contacted police saying she believed Richard Chase could be the killer. Wow. The police ran a background check on Chase where they came across his registration of a 22 caliber semi-automatic pistol. Fuck it, it was registered? Jesus Christ. Detectives and a team of police went to Chase's apartment where they asked to speak with him. He said no. The detectives and the police hid down the hallway and pretended not to be there and to have left and waited for Chase to leave, arresting him when he left his apartment carrying a bloodstained box... Uh, his park and shoes were also bloodstained. Inside were pieces of shredded, blood-soaked wallpaper and the bloodstained twenty-two, with which he'd committed all of his crimes. Chase claimed that the bloody wallpaper and bloody gun were a result of him killing several neighborhood dogs. When the police performed a search of Chase's person, however, they found that he was carrying Dan Meredith's wallet, thus being the incriminating evidence they needed to arrest him. Detectives, along with Wrestler and Vorpagel, formed a posse and searched chase's apartment they found the walls floor ceiling refrigerator and all of chase's eating and drinking utensils were soaked in human blood on the counter was the blender chase had used to make his smoothies and it was caked in coagulated blood and the rotting matter of internal organs that's fucking gross that turned my stomach disgusting inside the refrigerator police found several animal body parts wrapped in aluminum foil He fucking has the wherewithal to use aluminum foil? Uh, guilty. Not insane. Guilty. He used fucking tinfoil. David's brains were in a Tupperware container, and pieces of his body were wrapped in saran wrap. Yeah, he's... I wonder if the crazy was an act. Obviously not, but still, I wonder, like... How can he... I don't understand how he can be that far gone and still, like... Pack it up in saran wrap and Tupperware. You know what I'm saying. Several of Evelyn Maroth and Teresa Wallen's internal organs were also wrapped in saran wrap in the same way. On another counter were several pet collars. On his kitchen table, he had spread out numerous diagrams depicting various aspects of human biology. For fuck's sake. In 1979, Chase stood trial on six counts of capital murder, and in order to avoid the death penalty, his bitch lawyer tried to have Chase found guilty of second-degree murder, which would result in a life sentence. However, the case hinged on Chase's history of mental illness and the lack of planning in his crimes, evidence that they were not predetermined. Obviously not, but he knew he was fucking insane. He had to have. On May 8th, the journey found Chase guilty of six counts of first-degree murder. The defense asked for a clemency hearing in which a judge determined that Chase was not legally insane. Chase was sentenced to die in the gas chamber. Waiting to die, Chase became a feared present in prison. The other inmates, including hardened gang members, uh, were aware of the graphic and bizarre nature of his crimes, were terrified of this guy. And according to prison officials, they often try to convince Chase to commit suicide, too fearful to get close enough to kill him themselves. Wow. Chase also granted a series of interviews to a guy named Robert Ressler, during which he spoke of his fears of the Nazi UFOs and space Jews, claiming that although he had killed, it was not his fault. He had been forced to kill to keep himself alive, which he believed any person would do. I probably wouldn't. If it meant mutilating a pregnant chick and ass-fucking her dead corpse, I think I would choose death. Maybe I'm the crazy one. He asked Ressler to give him access to a radar gun with which he could apprehend the Nazi UFOs so that the Nazis could stand trial for what they did and be held accountable. He also handed Ressler a large amount of macaroni and cheese, which he had been stuffing into his pants pockets, believing that the prison officials were in fact in league with the Nazis and attempting to kill him. On December 26th, 1980, a guard doing cell checks found Chase lying prostrate on his bed, not breathing. An autopsy determined that Chase had committed suicide with all of the pills that he was not taking and been saving up for the last few weeks. He was the inspiration for the 1988 movie Rampage. Jesus fucking Christ. A typically disorganized killer, Chase picked his victims randomly which is terrifying just because your door was unlocked so while interviewing killers all over the country to add information about criminal psychology to the FBI database FBI profilers visited this guy and learned about some of his weird tendencies Robert Ressler recounts in his book this uh this wonderful story, I guess, and his book was called Whoever Fights Monsters, and I quote from that a little bit too next. He describes how Chase had believed in 1976 that his blood was turning to powder and that he thus needed blood from other creatures to replenish it. Nevertheless, the psychiatrist had released him despite protests from some of the staff that he was clearly dangerous. From the time he was arrested in Nevada in 1977 until the murders began in December paints a clear picture of a deteriorating mind. It was after that that he killed his mother's cat bought two dogs to kill, and he also tormented a neighborhood family dog, family about their missing dog, saying that he was the one to do it. He then collected articles of the Hillside Strangler. And then in December, he acquired his gun. After the Griffin killing, he bought a newspaper and kept an editorial page about the senseless nature of the shooting. Then he bought more ammunition. He also set a fire in a neighbor's garage to drive him from the neighborhood because his music annoyed him. He told a psychiatrist that his first killing had happened after his mother would not allow him to visit for Christmas. He was just shooting his gun out of the window of a car for the fuck of it. And he fired shots at other houses and indicated that it was not altogether an accident. Chase told the FBI profilers that he had killed to preserve his own life, and he developed an appeal based on that. He mentioned his soap dish poisoning, and Wrestler asked him what that was, and he explained that everyone has a soap dish. If you lift the soap dish and find that underneath it is dry, you're alright. If it's gooey, you have the poisoning, which turns your blood to powder. The powder then depletes your energy and eats away at your body slowly, turning you into a space Jew. Oh my god. Chase also said that he was Jewish, which he was not, and he'd been persecuted by Nazis because he had a Star of David on his forehead, which he didn't. He'd explained that the Nazis were connected to the UFOs, which had telepathically commanded him to kill to replenish a blood. or his blood. The UFOs then followed him around, and the FBI should be able to pinpoint them by putting a radar on him. He then showed shoved a cup at Wrestler filled with macaroni and cheese. He wanted it analyzed for poison. Wrestler learned that the other inmates taunted Chase and urged him to kill himself. They did not want to be near him. Wrestler, along with the prison mental health professionals, felt he ought to be transferred to a psych ward. Although he was sent to one for a short time, he soon returned to San Quentin. And that is about just about all there is on the Vampire Killer of Sacramento. So on that charming note, thank you all for tuning back in. This has been a very enlightening and interesting subject for me to research and cover. If you guys have any suggestions about what you would like me to research and cover, I am always open to suggestions, and I would love to hear them. So... I want to thank you all very much for tuning back in and I would also like to point out that you just listened to this entire thing free of any ads for Boner Pills or free of any ads for whatever the fuck they're advertising on other podcasts now these days. Because I value your time. Uh, At some point soon, I thought I was going to do it today but I got distracted sleeping. I was going to make an email account and one of those fucking Patreon things to hook up to my shit. But, uh, another day. And if you guys are so inclined down the road, I will be asking you to potentially, if you feel I deserve it, contribute to the Patreon, so that I will not have to do advertising for your sake. Either way, at this point, I genuinely appreciate each and every one of you. I can see the numbers steadily growing every episode, and I want to thank you both, or thank all of you guys so much for your contributions in spreading the word. It genuinely means a lot to me, and it's a very big incentive to keep going. Thank you for the positive reviews. If you are so inclined, please continue to review me and uh, share my stuff on iTunes. I appreciate it. And now, let's see. The winner of the Spreading the Word contest, which I'm unofficially having from last episode. Let's see. So far... Granted, I posted this yesterday, so not not everybody has their... uh, (laughs) contributions made to being influential, but it looks like, it's <laughs> like Texas is sweeping again, but there are a concerning amount of people in Freehold, New Jersey. Thank you very much. Freehold, New Jersey. You know who you are. Genuinely appreciate your patronage. Thank you very much. Uh, closely followed by Hampstead Camden. That genuinely surprises me, but I'm very appreciative of you guys as well. If you are from outside of the United States, please do not hesitate to get in touch with me on Instagram.com slash Landis 17 to share some, uh, give me some direction so I can cover some true crime or ghost stories or whatnot from your country. I want to include everybody and I am not very well read on crimes abroad and I'd love to hear from you guys. Also, you don't have to be from out of the country to get in touch with me. Americans, please, I encourage you to do so as well. I would love to hear about true crime in your area or ghost stories, which I could uh, maybe pass on the story. A couple of you have done this already, and I am not ignoring you. I will certainly get to it soon. And you can reach me once again on Instagram.com slash DukeLandis17. And I'll just give you guys the, uh, the top six, seven. Actually, these are all pretty cool, so I'm going to read the top 10 cities that are most influential, have the most listeners right now, and the first one for this last episode is Freehold, New Jersey, followed by Hampstead Camden, Brentwood, Texas, or Brentwood, Tennessee, my mistake, Seattle, Washington, Honolulu, Hawaii, Granbury, Texas, San Antonio, Texas, Roanoke, Virginia, South Pasadena, California, Idaho, Falls, Idaho. Thank you very much, and of course, the cities I didn't mention, there's, it's great to run to YouTube.